and welcome to Get With The Programme. I'm Holly. I'm Campbell. And this is a podcast for you if you love TV, you like to stand around the proverbial water cooler and discuss all things televisual, this is your water cooler. We're your office friends. We'll chat with you about TV. What kind of proverb would have water cooler in it? Too many water coolers. <laughs> spoil the water Prof. supply. Yeah, spoil the water supply. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty good. A water cooler in the hand is worth. <laughs> Probably several bottles of water. Yeah, depending on what your capacities are, I think. Yeah. That's something for you to think about. And if you've got any great water cooler based proverbs, please do send them to us at schemes at thetvfestival.com. Or indeed, if you have any talent schemes related queries. Or uh, tweet us on at getwithpod. Uh, we look forward to a raft of uh, water cooler related chat this week. Um, I'm assuming that Campbell, you didn't speak to our guest this week about water coolers. We did not talk about water coolers or water or any of the main main elements. I believe we were low on fire and earth chat as well um, and wind. Uh, but what we did talk about was uh, writing and being a fantastic writer. Sophie is someone who it's highly likely we will see in her work. She's done some amazing um, stuff. And I feel like the, her last sort of TV projects, Riviera and Medici Master Florence, just sound like holidays I want to go on. Yeah. They sound super lush and glamorous and exciting. And, and Sophie's able to kind of conjure and create those really... Uh, special worlds and we we talk a bit about that and we also talk a bit about like getting in as a writer which feels like a real puzzle I think for people it's a real sort of catch-22 situation and we talk about some of the great prizes out there that can sort of help you sort of stand out from the crowd if you're listening to this and you're an aspiring writer Um, and also just what I love about Sophie is that she's kind of got on with it like she just she was precocious very talented um, and just, yeah, like people saw something in her and she's delivered on that promise tenfold. So it's a really, really fascinating chat for all you writers out there, but indeed anyone who just wants to like just get on with it. Let's just do this. Um, and if you're going to just get on with it and start your career in TV, you have two weeks left until applications close. Two weeks? For the network, yes. A fortnight. Two <sighs> weeks left till April 27th when you have to have hit send on your application. Is two weeks enough time, Holly? Yes. Two weeks is 100% enough time. You just need to get focused, get your head in the game, uh, and get yourself to tvtalentschemes.co.uk to find out a bit more about the network and how to apply. All we want is enthusiasm. And the scheme costs £1,000 to go on, doesn't it? No, it's free. It's literally free. Just like this podcast. So much free content and life experience that we're providing for you. So you're telling me, in theory, I could start a career in television for free? Yes, 100%. That sounds amazing. I'm going to be checking it out right after we finish recording this. Great. I'm glad, Campbell. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, get those applications done and we will see you next week. Hi, Sophie. Thanks Hi. for joining us. Having me. Wow, it's great to see you. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking a bit about sort of the TV that you love and sort of the TV that you've been involved in making, and I guess for you, sort of creating as well. Um, so when you sort of think back um, to when you were younger, can you sort of remember the sort of place that sort of TV had in your sort of family life growing up? Um, 
as a, as a kid, it was mainly like, it was part of the kind of VHS and early burgeoning DVD sort of generation. So I was watching an awful lot of Disney movies. Um, it was my sort of pro- it was a lot of films. Films were kind of my big thing growing up. But my mum was a Trekkie, and is a Trekkie. Um, and so my the first kind of the, when I remember back to like what was our commitment viewing as as kids uh, and as a family, um, it was almost always Star Trek Voyager. Um, and also NCIS, bizarrely. I, I was the wow. biggest NCIS fan, which is the uncoolest thing in the world. That's the Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon, ne- Michael, Weatherly, Michael Weatherly, yeah, yeah, back yeah. in the day. And that was fr- so because my mum also loved Jag. So any crime show, like American kind of continuing drama type crime show, like, I was obsessed with CSI. Um, and that, and then I kind of casually watched Jag with my mum, but then they spun off into NCIS in like what, 2000 and. I don't Four? think that I'd put that together. So NCS yeah. is a spin-off of Jag. But like Jag ran for like Jag decade. ran for 10 years. So um, and then NCIS um, spun off and I think they're like penultimate season. Um, and yeah, and then the, I can't remember when NCIS started. It was like 2000. It was definitely when I was around a teenager. Because um, I remember it was my Friday night. It got me through triple science on a Friday. I uh, was knowing that we'd probably get a Chinese and watch NCIS, especially if it was a new season, they'd do like a double bill on FX. So that was a, yeah, so it was always like, you know, see any, it was CSI Las Vegas, NCIS, Star Trek Voyager. Um, I'm jumping around the time frame here. Uh, but as a, as a kid, I think before like I was a teenager, um, it was mainly movies. I watched videos a lot and movies a lot, and I used to watch The Patriot again and again and again and Star Wars again and again and again so science fiction was a big thing The Patriot the Mel Gibson movie that doesn't get talked about a lot no but did (laughs) did well no I mean we don't have to get to the whole it has a strange place in my heart because we we ended we went through a phase where we moved a lot Um, we were kind of jumping from house to house for various reasons when I was about between it, bizarrely, it was also it was it was yeah it was around two thousand one two thousand two three and so I was like what eleven twelve thirteen and um, the only video that I had immediate access to that wasn't in a box for some reason ended up being the Patriot and I would watch whenever I was feeling uncomfortable or or weird or not at heart like you know the way you do when you're being when you're moving around a lot as a kid yeah. I would just watch The Patriot because it completely it completely took me into another world it, like the, the stakes were so high the relationships were so intense the music was sweeping and it was it was uh, it, it, this ridiculous over romanticised nonsense uh, where where Mel Gibson slaves are incredibly happy uh, and, and, and yeah I just I loved it and I rewatched it recently actually it's, it is a kind of a nonsense but it's still I just, uh, yeah it has a very special place in my heart I mean kind of to my shame t- TV drama only really sort of jumped into my mind as a sort of oh wow this is where I also get great stories that I, uh, I'm not just watching to kind of calm down to after school around when I was like late teens and then only really properly as this is something I want to do when I was at university um, up until about then I still thought I was still I wanted to make Star Wars so yeah. <laughs> Star Wars was my obsession and I suppose at that period that, that the Star Wars machine had just been sort of revved up again uh, yeah the, I mean I'd seen I, I'd had the videos the, the of the I don't, we don't have them anymore and I can't find them anywhere now unless you've got a friend with, with uh, uh, connections um but I had the 
original cuts of the original trilogy, and then we had the 1997 re, um, edits. Um, oh, we're going to be CGI added. All the CGI, but none of the Hayden Christensen, which was sort of the magical in-between period. Um, and I watched them until they broke. And then like I think the, the prequels came out when I was the right age. I was about nine, so I was just super excited to have Star Wars back in my life. But I, but I, I was never as I never loved them in the way that I loved the original trilogy, and I couldn't kind of articulate why then. And now I can, <laughs> but that's a whole other podcast. It is indeed, yeah. yeah. Well, um, so when you sort of a lot of the shows you've talked about already, kind of procedural and mm. relatively standalone in nature. Mm-hmm. Can you? remember a program that you saw that might have had a bit more kind of I guess kind of coherence that sort of informed what you wanted to do as a writer I remember Life on Mars was one of my biggest sort of um, moments of TV awakening Um, that was I think I think the first time that I really saw a show that felt completely fucking bonkers Um, and had and, and, and had a sort of addictive ongoing serials a serial story that was completely compelling and, and unpredictable and characters that I just that I felt for and I loved and they were funny it was it was that mixture of like it's incredible like it was hilarious it was funnier than most comedies but also emotionally intense and high stakes and serious and I was always excited like what's going to happen next and and that and I think I was at that point my idea of British drama and I was only about us. 16, 17, so my idea of TV drama in the U- and that was when I was at my height of NCIS and CSI and American crime showy addiction things. Um, my idea of British drama was Casualty, Holbein. They never, any, I was watching EastEnders, I think, but like that was sort of, um, I think, as much as I was aware of, and I wasn't a particularly discerning teenager. Um, but um, Life on Mars, I remember, was like, oh wow, I didn't know we did things like this. I thought Americans did stuff with personality, and I thought we did stuff that we that your mum could watch on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and that kind of, um, that just, I just remember that being a, that, that was the first time I ever spent pocket money on a box set. Um, pocket money. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a job, um, but uh, yeah, that was the first time I ever spent money on. And I think I bought like season two on iTunes and had to like beg my parents to give me like fifteen quid or something. And they were like, "What is this iTunes? And uh, yeah. are we going to have our bank details stolen?" And the answer is now probably yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like on Mars was a big one for me. Um, and did you um, sort of? How did you feel about Ashes to Ashes as a sort of continuation of that? At the time, um, I was just really happy to have more of it. I, it yeah. wasn't as I remember. I mean, when was this? Two thousand eight. Yeah. Nine. I, so. I remember not being as as gripped, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I haven't seen it since then. I was yeah. quite young, so I couldn't quite articulate how and why. But I was def- like, I you know, I just loved being with Gene Hunt, and I, I you know, Keely Hawes was phenomenal. And, um, I remember it got kind of weird when it turned out they were all ghosts and stuff. But I still, I just yeah. loved the ambition of it. Um, the ambition of it, the weirdness of it, I couldn't see where it was going. And even now, that's a big, that's a big seller for me. It, like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be um, incredible in form. I, I just, I have to completely invest in, lo- in and love the characters and not have, and not be able to tell you where it's going. And, and, and to be, to, to feel as I watch every week, I don't know, like, I don't know what's gonna, what's gonna happen. And I, I worry for these people. Um, and so, so, so I think, 
I remember there being a kind of, I remember like going to school and people saying, it's just not as good as the first one. And I've never really echoed, I never really had a strong, again, I wasn't particularly discerning, but I had a, I ne never really had a strong position on it. It was just more of the thing that I loved. And um, I think, I think, I think I loved 70s chic more than I loved like the 80s. I think the 80s was just close enough to like when I was born to sort of feel a bit more. Um, but the 70s thing felt so clear and tangible and, and like, uh, and fun. Uh, but yeah, no, I still, I still enjoyed it. I still watched all of it. Um, and when did you, when did you start writing in a, in a way that sort of, I guess, kind of feeds into your career? Like when did you start writing scripts? My first, my first script I wrote when I was 15, 14. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, it, it, and, uh, I, because I wanted to be a movie director when I was like 10, between 10 and 14, I, I wanted to be Steven Spielberg and I wanted to one day make Star Wars or something like that, you know, I, I, I just wanted to make films and so I used to use my parents' handy cam and put my sister and her best mate in all sorts of strange outfits and make them do incredibly weird, like they were in drag a lot of the time, pretending to be medieval knights and we just walk through the local woods and sort of cost dogs and, 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 and yeah and, and make sort of epic movies on, on a shoestring budget with two girls dressed up as boys almost always which kind of speaks to a very strange uh, dynamic going on in my head at the time but um, but um, yeah and then I remember and I, but I also wrote, I wrote and I didn't I didn't understand at the time that you could that people had to write films and write TV um, I used to write stories and poems and and I remember uh, having a, a you know that that sort of precocious teenage crisis of what do I want, what do I want to be do I want to make things or do I want to write them and my mum bought me a book which was screenwriting for dummies and she said uh, oh you know there are people who actually write these things they write TV and they write films so you can do both you can be in film and TV and write and that I just sort of I, I remember getting that book I was like fourteen or fifteen and deciding then oh yeah I'll do that and it was like that kind of very very precocious but I but it never changed my mind I never I never really considered anything else um, I always knew I wanted to write um, but that was really it was really around then and, and then it was still very much film so I, I was writing like short films or half hour scripts and about nothing really like utter crap um, and then it was only and uh, you know and I still made films and we made you know my school was very went to a very nice school and they would let us like put on plays um, like five minute things for assembly or whatever and I was always being told to like write things for leaving dudes and whatever but um, then yeah then when time, time came around to go to university I wanted to do a kind of writing course so then so yeah it was just sort of 15 I decided this was obviously what I should do and never really changed my mind. That's great to sort of know that early I think yeah. <laughs> a lot of people sort of feel they want to do it but don't really understand it but to mm. almost have that I've always been very precocious head, and head start I think mm. yeah good. yeah I'm very lucky that I was um actively encouraged yeah and had all the you know I was just surrounded by people who would who would tell you you're a genius all the time so like you always you never you you know you were there to tell yourself that you weren't and that you were crap and that you don't know what you're doing but I was always very supported and very encouraged and um, very fortunate in that, like that at home. I remember, I remember being at school, and and I was very, 
Um, I was quite academic actually. I did like I was very good at English. I was very good at history, um, and I love history and I'm still doing that. Like the fact that I work on a lot of historical dramas now is quite an interesting full circle. But um, I remember going into my headmaster's office after I'd, I'd put on my UCAS that I was going to apply for like you know Oxford Warwick to do history and politics and all that. And my headmaster said, um, so what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, oh, I want to be a writer, I want to, I want to be in films, I want to be in television, whatever. And, and he was like, so why do you want to go and do history? And I was like, well, you know, it's a proper degree. And he said, look, the way the world is going, your degree is not going to mean shit. Like, you want, you want, he said, everyone, everyone's got a degree, everyone's going to go to Warwick to do history. If you want to be in film, go and do film. Like, it's not, it's, it's no more or less a waste of your time. And, like, at the time, I thought he, he, it was quite an odd thing to say. Yeah. Uh, now feels strangely prescient with the kind of, with, you know, the rise in, in university fees and, 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 and everyone's kind of, feeling that they're not getting the, the bang for their buck from their universities and from their courses. And I just, and uh, yeah, and so I, that was when I sort of decided that I wasn't going to, you know, because my, my family were quite academic and, it, and, I, and I didn't even graduate. I got a job in my second year. And so m most of my friends, you know, have, are able to say that they're the first in their family to go to university. Um, and I sort of joke that I'm the first in my family not to. Um, that, you know, I come from a very well-educated professional family and I went to film school and dropped out in my second year. Um, and got a job. And in terms of sort of leaving as well, I think that's sort of, I remember that from, from when we first met, that idea of you got that kind of amazing opportunity sort of halfway through education. Did you did you have any pause about that? Or was it a very easy no. decision? It was like, well, no, this is, this is the end. This is the means of, well, if I've got yeah. this, I can just go for this. Now. Absolutely. So I got, it was a, I, I'd a, I, there was a thing called the BBC Production Traineeship, which I think still exists, but in a yeah. slightly different format. It was then an 18-month uh, traineeship. Um, you did four four-month placements all across the BBC. And um, I knew that people in the, in the media department at my university were applying for it in their third year. And I'd heard that they were applying for it and that, that this was this big thing. And, and I was in my second year and I thought, I'll just apply for it as a practice and then I'll do it properly in the third year because I'd looked at this form and it was vast and, and complicated and involved a lot of, an awful lot of video pitching and stuff like that. And and I just, I did the first round and then I got through that and then it was the second round and I just kept getting through until I realised that none of the third years were in the running anymore and it was just me. And, and it just kept going and kept going. It was like a three-month process if not longer um and always and i think i didn't even mention it i think until i was sort of coming toward like the penultimate round and suddenly i had a kind of wake-up call of uh this is getting very very close this could suddenly be a thing and having to tell my parents oh and by the way i'm in the running for this thing which might take me to london and out of out of education <laughs> but no there was never any it was you know the the idea was and for a lot of people at in, uh, at uni the idea was to do the course and hopefully graduate into something like that. Yeah. So no, for me, there was never any, you know, no one's going to read my dissertation on gender representation in Disney movies. You know, um, I, I would have loved writing it. And, uh, but, um, and maybe you still can. And maybe I still can. But I, I ultimately, no, I just sort of, there was never any, yeah. it, would have, it, was such a, it would have been an absolute dream to have graduated and got something like that. Yeah. So to land it in the second year, it was just, it was scary because I'd made, mainly because I'd made such wonderful friends and I was living in this great house and I was having a really, I was really in my element at uni and I had a, was having a great time and basically using my student loan as council funding to put on ter offensively bad plays. 
Um, so um, I was going to miss the sort of freedom of that. And I remember there was a sort of strange nostalgia to it. You're like, oh my God, this is great. But academically, no. No, not for me anyway. You'd learn all you needed to learn. Uh, or I felt like yeah. the rest of it was to learn on the job. Yeah. And, you know, I had no idea what I was doing going to the PTS. In my first four months, I was just a waste of space and in everyone's way. And I had no idea what I was doing, but uh, it was absolutely invaluable. And that's what got me, that's what started me off. And so, because I think it has sort of changed slightly now, so there would have been sort of a of writers dimension to, to what you did for those 18 months, or was it more no, general than that? It was, it was more general than that, what, but by and large, I think they often had like a, quite a high contingent of factual uh, people and uh, documentary news gathering, radio. Um, and there were only ever usually like a couple of drama people. Yeah. Um, I think they were slightly higher. The weird thing is like when I look back at my year group, a lot of them have since moved into drama. I think that just speaks to like the the kind of prescience of drama now and and how like there's more of it and we're making more of it and it's getting better than it ever was. But um, uh, but I think I think I was interesting to them because I had a writing background and I remember them saying to me when I because I thought it was sort of a factual thing or more like a general producer thing and that you were not supposed to kind of go in and say I really want to be a writer um, uh, but I remember kind of backing away from that in one of my interviews and at the end they said next time when you come in lean in to your writing background because that's what that's what sets you apart um, that's different um, so I did then instead of kind of trying to pitch factual ideas I, um, I was, I'd talk about you know what I the bits of writing that I'd done for like some CBBS things when I was at uni and um, stuff like that um, but um, yeah, again, I'm rambling. I've forgotten what you've asked me. No, it was just kind of around um, sort of like the, the, the scheme itself and whether um, it was kind of set up for writers, particularly, or were you able to mm, make it be that for you? It was more, no, because there was a thing called the Writers' Academy, which yes. existed, but I think, it, and they, they got rid of that really unfortunately. I think a few months into my tenure at the production traineeship, um, what I knew I wanted to do was I wanted to get into a drama department and I wanted to like learn to script edit and to work with writers and work with drama producers and see how the drama gets made, yeah. um, which I still think was one of the... I kind of made that decision not really... No, I kind of just thinking that's a good way to get into drama. I had no real kind of canny sense about what it would do for me, but... Um, but um, since kind of... I, I look back on that as being one of the most important few months of my career and that that's given me more like that that still helps me now there are things I learned then about the process about about um about what script editors need from you about what producers need from you about what um actors need from you that or and, and how and how things work when you're in production that I learned then working on productions um that have been, been kind of immeasurably useful to me I still now um but I yeah so I I, I kind of sensed that BBC drama, because it's you know so prestigious, um, was going to be quite a path well trod by trainees, and there was always a risk as a trainee that you would go into a department that was used to having trainees, and they'd put you in the trainee box, and you'd do the trainee things, and there wouldn't be much of a chance for you to sort of step out of that and do things that, you know, which is utterly kind of like a valid thing for departments to do when you're this sort of idiot 20 year old or has never done it before um but i went to cbbc because they hadn't re they had trainees before but not uh, not too much and 
they were really, really opti- they were really optimistic and really keen to have me and have someone. And I think they lost someone from the ve- development department at the time, so they had like a slot to fill. And um, I remember thinking that if I made the most of it, I could do something. I could have a really good time there. And if I was useless, then I'd just sit in the corner and read books and write reports and for four months, which there are worse things to do. Um, but I absolutely adored the team, and they were so. They, they were just so kind of happy to have you there and if you're good and had something to offer um, they would use you and, 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 and want you and I, I was brought on to be a script editor on season two of Wolf Blood after about four months of being there just because I, I, I worked really well with, with them he was the then, then the script editor um, now producer um, and we just got on so well and worked really well together and I, and I, I you know I still I still think back at my time at CBBC and my time writing for CBBC is some of the happiest it, you know they, they, there's a there was just a real lack of ego as far as I, I could tell it was, and it was just all about and a, a genuine sincere passion for the work um, and for making good stuff and for being ambitious and being sincere um, and I absolutely loved it and I was treated so well and I grew the most there and then once they work out you can write they were throwing me then from show to show <laughs> so I went from writing on because I, I was script editing on Wolf Blood and then at the same time I won this writing competition which they found out about so they read a script of mine and then offered me a prequel episode to Wolf Blood season two which was like an iPlayer short um, and then after that was they offered me a couple of episodes uh, on the next season and then it was suddenly after that it's okay well then do a dumping ground do a hefty feather um, so they, they, if, you, if, you, if you can just about deliver, uh, they treat you very well there, which um, I'm incredibly, especially as it gets harder and harder, I think, to break into continuing drama, like um, the soaps. Um, yeah. I was incredibly fortunate to land where I did during the PTS at, at CBBC. And in terms of um, when you started writing, being given kind of writing assignments, like, at what point does kind of getting an agent sort of figure into that? Is it sort of a little bit later on for you, or was it where you get representation quite early? I'd had an agent for a few years. So when I was at my first year of uni, over the summer, I wrote a sitcom pilot, I've never written a comedy since, <laughs> for a uh, competition called All Mixed Up, which was a BBC Writers' Room initiative, which was for um, diverse voices, which includes women for some reason, <laughs> even though we're like we're the majority of the population, we're underrepresented still in television. So um, I, I call it, I qualified there, I suppose, but also diverse characters, diverse like worlds within within your scripts. And so I wrote a I wrote a sitcom sitcom pilot, which was one of three winners that then gets put on. It was sort of read at the Soho Theatre, and and um, I worked with a, um, a a wonderful producer there who has since retired. Um, and he, I've been trying to precocious again, just precociousness is sort of the vein here. Um, been trying to get an agent before then, uh, hadn't quite uh, because I'd I, because I'd sna- I'd somehow blagged my way before to writing outlines for a CB a new CBB show at the time called Abney and Teal, which was by the makers of Rosie and Jim. And I absolutely balls it up. Like I, I had no idea what I was doing, but like I got paid like six hundred quid for it. And at uni, that was I was minted. Um, but like I was a proper pro and so I was trying to get an agent after that and obviously no one would no one wanted to go near me but after all mixed up um this producer put me in touch with a wonderful agent um who met with me a week later and said yeah and um I'm, and I'm still with her Faye Davis at the agency she's just she's just absolutely brilliant um and um yeah so I had an I had an agent for quite a while 
um, and I'd been given like general beatings and stuff while I was at university, but um, really at that point, like you you either kind of there's there's an awful lot of work you have to do to try and push yourself up before they you know yeah. as an agent they're like here's a writer who's not done anything for and at most to most shows you're just not an attractive prospect so doing the production traineeship was I remember like for my agent like an absolute delight because it's something it means you get to meet people and you build connections and you then get something on your CV and it's something for them to sell and um, and getting landing work then at CBC just gave her I think chance to kind of pedal me everywhere um which was yeah so i so it was it was very important it, it is very important to have representation like not many people will look at you if you don't which is uh, understandable but tricky i think for a lot of people but i was represented quite early yeah it could be a bit of a catch 22 i think for yeah. sort of new writers kind of getting yes getting yeah. noticed outside of and i think that sort of underlines the importance of competitions and yeah. there are Lots and you've you know you've entered quite a few and you've won quite a few. I forget. Mm. Was, I want to say Peter Euston. It was. It yeah. was, which is a, a massively sort of prestigious award. Yeah. And when when was, when did you win that? Twenty twelve. So that yeah. was that because I'd gone into C. I was in CBBC at the time. I'd been there for about oh, six months and um, no, that's three months. And um, I made a conscious choice not to talk about the fact that I write because I didn't want to be the person who turns up there saying I want to be a script editor. Oh, and also I write because that can be a bit. Um, be a bit off-putting so um I'd sort of kept it under wraps until I was in a meeting in I'd come down to London with a development producer at CBBC and we'd been taking meetings and then I get a phone call from an American from an American number and I, I just I know what it is because I've been waiting for this and I was like oh and so I sort of excuse myself from this meeting and go to the toilet and get this phone call and I keep telling myself to just keep it to myself keep it to the, I told that I'd won and I was going to New York to the Emmy to the International Emmys in a couple of months I know I kept trying to keep it to myself but then me and the development producer left the meeting and I said I've just won this competition and um, she was just she was hilarious she's like oh my god let's just go and get smashed um, that's the appropriate response that's the appropriate response yeah but then after that I kind of went around CBBC and the, uh, the producer Wolfblood Fozal and who I've worked with many a time since then um, said oh I hear, I hear you on this thing can I read the script and I remember going this could either make me or destroy me and um very luckily, he was impressed with it and gave me the 15-minute um, prequel episode to season two of Wolf... Was it season two? Yeah. Yeah, of Wolf Blood. So um, that was... Uh, yeah, so that, so that was uh, that was very fortunately timed. <laughs> yes. In I was in exactly the right place at the right time, which no one wants to hear. I, I, <laughs> I, would, I hate listening to me do my kind of... Here's how I... Because it involves an awful lot of good timing... And being in the and meeting the right people at the right time as well as yeah, but, but it's um, being aware of those opportunities as well. And, mm-hmm. and obviously, we've talked about sort of two competitions there. But if, if anyone's listening and trying to kind of break that, mm-hmm. what what are some kind of good writing competitions that people should be looking out for at the moment? Peter Ustinov still goes on. I think the Red Planet picture, the Red Planet Prize, is yes. still is still around. Yeah. Which and Red Planet is a proper company with proper connections. That's like always kind of it's back to Life on Mars sort of a bit yeah. as well. Um, yeah. Do Death in Paradise, and I think the the guy who I say the guy because I'm terrible with just pulling names out of my head. Rob Robert. Um, uh, ro- uh, he uh, uh, Death in Paradise came for him as a result of that prize, I think. Um, uh, so there's a yeah that that's one of the really that's one of the top ones I think in the UK. Um, there's also there was something called the Bush 
there was something at the Bush that was a comp- like inside of t- oh either Bush BBC drama or Bush Channel Four. I don't know if that still exists. Okay. There's also the Four Screenwriting Prize, which is Channel Four, um, which I think is still around, um, which is you know linked to Channel Four drama and. Uh, the BBC Writers Room website is still a really great place to just check. Like a lot of them, are, some of them are quite small. A lot of them are theatre based, but doing doing plays is no is is is, is hugely uh, hugely beneficial as well. A lot of you know, that's a lot of most of my producer friends and and people who work in television like they're finding their new writers in theatre um, an awful lot of the time because often theatre is that that's where you as a new newer writer can have your voice displayed unfiltered and people like even though you know yeah people like to come and um, see that and it, it's easier for them to work out if you are, you know yeah rather yeah so because tv there are a few opportunities for you to do that so it's easier to sort of pinpoint new talent in that arena um i did a load of short plays at the hen and chickens for a while which is just again it's just useful for you to work with actors and see how crap you really are until until they're able to say your lines in a way that sounds human um, so that that that's always hugely helpful. Um, I'm trying to think of other prizes as well. BBC Writers Room was where I always you know was always used to check for new kind of things to enter, and um, there was a there was an old, there was a wonderful old um, arts council type company called Ideas Tap. Yes, that, which I do. Since they were amazing. They they God they I I I I did the old Vic New Voices twenty four hour plays. You know where I basically had a twenty five minute play on at the old Vic. Um, in front of like what three two thousand people because of them like that, that yeah. the unbelievable opportunities that ideas that gave me and countless other creatives and it's such a shame that they're no longer around um uh but yeah writers are on peter rustinov uh, which is international which is run by the international emmys um red planet uh, but also a lot of these competitions are still are compiled on the writers on website there's people who go yeah finding them there's also like for films there's the, the nichols fellowship which is run by the academy and that's very prestigious there's a an austin film festival one um but yeah there's quite a few and there are new ones all the time um but often it's who they connect you with and who gets to come and see the final version of things and i know that the four screenwriting prize is something that people talk about and people go to their readings and things like that was it me i'm trying to remember about this being the, the bush one there was the bush and kudos i think kudos okay. productions and, and the bush i think used to have an initiative i don't know if they still do um so i don't want to uh, um say something that isn't true but um they i think they used to that's great and so obviously we've reached the point where you start sort of writing your episodes getting off a lot of things um, what would you say is the thing that you've worked on that you're kind of most proud of today? Um, I'd say did two things because they're sort of at very different ends of like um, one was right at the beginning and one is most recently. Um, Wolf Blood made me. Uh, Wolf, I, I discovered what TV writing really was there. I discovered like my my adoration for working not just writing for television but when I was working on it as an assistant script editor working on productions, being on set um, working late at night, having having heated debates with execs, um, fixing story problems, working with writers, um, the, the euphoria when you've solved something and you and you or you're in the edit and writing amends. Yeah, you know, that was where I kind of really discovered it. And then getting to write for it after knowing it so well 
was just such a joy and the actors were such a, uh, are still I think they're still making it such a joy um, and the and the, you know the team are kind and passionate and sincere and I just had such a wonderful wonderful time it was heartbreaking to have to eventually say like I can't do it anymore um, I was getting too busy and for various things but I, you know and, and also I'd done it long enough and like it gave me an opportunity and you often feel like it needs to give someone else an opportunity now um, and you can't just hog it all for like three years um, but I still I still miss it I still think about it regularly and um, I've met some wonderful directors that I still work with um, and more recently The Last Kingdom um, The Last Kingdom because I, I mean I had to make a choice between it and another show I was in a very fortunate position where I was being offered a couple of things that would have collided so I had to pick and one of them sounded on paper a lot more high profile and a lot more because the last game hadn't aired yet, it hadn't season one hadn't even materialised yet. So um, one of them sounded quite high profile, and I'd just come off a period drama, just come off Medici Master of Florence. I'd finished season one of that, and I didn't know that I wanted to do another historical show. Um, and then I read Stephen's script, and I watched the first couple of episodes. And I just realised that this is the kind. This like, if I wasn't going to be working on it, I was going to be addicted to it. I just loved it. It was funny. It was warm. It was sincere. Um, the characters were def well defined. That like, and Stephen has this way of writing the the characters, and that the, the, it's almost like a dialect is the only way to kind of describe it. Like, there's a voice to the whole thing that is just so. Uh, is so Stephen and yet so specific to the world of the Last Kingdom, and it just makes it. It's like uh, my thing is always if you laugh with these characters, you'll cry when they die. If they're boring and serious and angry all the time, I just think, well, well you might as well just get stabbed in the throat with a sword because yeah. your life is miserable anyway. But um, I, I left it the opportunity to do it. I know, you know, the team at Carnival and on the Last Kingdom have just been. Um, again, it's it's always it's always the same things. It's sincerity, passion, love for the thing, a respect for you. Um, and a respect for the work and and a, a well-managed um, thoughtful process um, that doesn't you know everything things always go wrong things always will break but like if you've got good people who care who are who, who, who know what they're doing and who respect the, respect the work and respect the team and love the project it just it just feels it's always it's it's such a joy working. It was such it was my it was such a joy working on that show, and I was so proud of it. And and you know you often as a jobbing writer work on things that you don't necessarily think are great. Um, and I think the Last Kingdom was, I, and there have been a few where I've been very lucky to feel very very proud of the work. And the Last Kingdom is one of those where I feel the proudest of the ep not only the episode that I did, but the um, the whole the whole show. And I still watch it. I still binge watch. Um, the Last Kingdom just as comfort viewing. It's just I love it. <laughs> but that's great in a way because I think some people find it quite hard to enjoy their not their own work, but at least kind of yeah. something they've been so heavily involved in because they know quite literally how the sausage has been made. Oh yeah, and there's some things I've, I've done or, or that I just can't. I can't. I never want to look at again. Um, and, but the Last Kingdom. But it was such a process that you never felt like you were going to be exposed that way. You never yeah. felt like oh, I was going to be anything but not proud of it. And that even if I. I, you knew that even if I was crap, it wouldn't have come out crap. Like there, they are there are talented people there who will save you, um, and 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 you can be involved in all kinds of situations where you're doing well, but the process is going to make everything you do look crap. You can be in processes where you are crap, the process is crap, and therefore everything is going to be crap. Um, the Last Kingdom and and, and shows like that and show um, Wolf Blood, a lot of stuff I've done on Sea Beauty. 
where it's all just well managed by people who love the thing and want the thing to work um, and are invested in the thing. Um, it, yeah, you, I think you just you end up proud of it, even if there are things, you know, not everything is perfect. You know, it never has to be, but if, I love it. And that if I if I can watch it and go like I I love this, I would watch this. I would be obsessed with this and telling people to watch it, even if I wasn't working on it. That that's quite rare, I think, for a lot of people, and that's it, you cling to that for dear life when that comes along. Does sort of having that perspective and being a writer does it spoil watching other television for you and how much sort of television do you watch now that you're involved in? Yeah, I wonder this sometimes because I find more I find it harder and harder and harder to love T V shows. And I was thinking about this on the bus over here actually. I was like I I I've I've been thinking about it a lot and I don't know if that's the because now we're in this period where we're all globally making so much television that like is it all as good anymore yeah, or, I, uh, or or am I just completely desensitized to it now am I do I just have a terrible attention span and but then again like you'll come across stuff like I, <laughs> I remember that remember when Happy Valley came out and I love Sally Wainwright and I've loved Scott I love Scott and Bailey uh, but I remember it being announced and I was like oh my god it's another cop show it's just an ang- other angry cop and then watching it and being utterly blown away, and I couldn't. I, I I came to it quite. I came to it a few weeks late, so I had um. I, I remember just watching four episodes back to back on my iPad in bed, and not getting up, not eating. You just couldn't couldn't wait, and that and yeah. So I still so every now and again I remind myself I do I do still have the capacity to be completely swept up in, and I think I think I think sometimes we can be as an industry sort of obsessed with the whole bigger bolder what's new what's the new thing and and like you know for me as a TV viewer I don't need to kind of I don't need to as 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 much as I love a big new thing and I love um, being surprised it can be something like it's a cop. Yeah. Uh, and still, and I can be sick to death of cop shows, and still be utterly sideswept because the writing is so magnificent, and the character, the characters are so magnificent, and I care, and I worry about them, and therefore, like, you know, even if they just can't make the mortgage next week, I worry about them because the characters are so distinctive and well realised and emotionally engaging and funny. It's always the link for me. Is always, uh, like, do, I feel like most people in life are. You know, we'll find humour and things, and I'll just and, and don't just talk, don't just say the most, um, um, don't say the thing that needs to be said in that moment. You know, you can watch a lot of TV drama, which is beautifully plotted, and everything is exciting and twisty and turny, but the characters often can feel like these strange chess pieces, who just say the right thing at the right time, and and I think that for me, there's a beauty in the in the. Um, the lack of formula to human interactivity and I think when you can kind of capture that in TV drama when people do just talk like it doesn't even need to be supernaturalistic they just need to feel like people um, and I need to really care about them and I think that for me is one of the, the most important things but yeah so I, um, um, but I don't know so I don't really think that uh, what I do has sort of ruined it for me I, 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 and it's also quite soon to tell I don't know I feel yeah. like I haven't, I haven't really done anything else and I keep looking back at the time where I'm like oh I used to love CSI I used to love NCIS and you can't watch that now but also I was 16 then and I'm 26 now so I don't know if that's just more to do with it or yeah. or, or 
<laughs> or maybe I have just become horribly cynical. Um, but yeah, I also feel like there's so much more now. Um, and that like it's more just a ratio thing that I'm noticing like there's there's a hundred dramas and I love one of them whereas it used to be there were three dramas and I'd love one of them and that feels like a good ratio if that makes sense so are you kind of missing out on anything are there are there not dramas necessarily but are there programs that you feel you should have watched that you haven't watched kind of blind spots where you're like oh my god I'm the one person who hasn't seen this transparent at the moment okay. I, 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 I know I'll love, I know I'll love I, I, and I have to watch and it I is just, great it yeah, is, uh, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't think it's one of the greatest things ever made and every time I sit, like, it, I'll sit at home and I'll be like I need to watch a new thing and then I'll be like I should watch transparent and I go or I could just like watch the news for 10 minutes and then watch YouTube videos and go to bed. Like it, it, I, I find it harder when I'm in the middle of a show to watch other dramas or to watch other shows. It's just, it just becomes then my morning, noon and night. So often like I, I play video games or I go to the movies or I go for a drink in the evening, but I need to watch Transparent. That feels like a huge blind spot for me, especially as I, I just know that I love it. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of, there've been things that I've not like got and I feel like I should, um, like The Wire. Um, I love David Simon's other, um, other stuff, like Show Me a Hero, I think was one of the greatest recent great. dramas. Like, and, and how do you, I also feel like you just couldn't sell it here. I couldn't walk, maybe if you were David Simon, but I, we couldn't walk into a commissioner's office. It's a shame. because it's about housing inequality. Because, but, but I was about to say, like, a, a British take on that it would be really timely, but I think you're right. Like, I think it would take, it would take a, a Sally or a Russell to I'd, make yeah. that happen, I think. I miss State of the Nation. I wish we were doing more of that. Um, I feel like uh, America does State of the Nation very well. I think we used to do State of the Nation very, very well. Um, and I know that I know there's a few things in the pipeline that I think are going to emerge in the next year or so, which I'd be really interested to see. Um, but I, you know, I remember Jimmy McGovern's Hillsborough um, was is one of the most incredible pieces of drama ever made for television. I'd love to see more about no, no, not this is not specifically about real events uh, exclusively, but State of the Nation, a Show Me a Hero. Mm. or The Wire, which is not just about a thing, but also about Other us things. and about yeah. society and about our country and our politics. And um, uh, I feel like it would be a bit remiss for us to avoid that now, given the state of things. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. I wonder whether it's because things just keep unfolding I know, and happening, but I know. it's hard to put a pin in it. it and, used, exactly. And, yeah. It used to be, I think, that you could, you could by and large, particularly with British politics, you could by and large... Um, you could write a drama that was vaguely political um, and, and, you hope, and then it might come out in two years and nothing's going to have changed so much. Like maybe we have a different party in power, but the same issues will still be issues. The same good things will still be the same good things. I, I think now we're in this period of unpredictability that, uh, or uh, instability and America more so, where anything you do is going to feel dated if it's politically inclined in the next two years. Um, if not the next two months, which I think is a, it's a unique situation to be in. But yeah, it's, it's the first time I've ever thought, like, you know, I've never really had to consider, is this dated? Is this going to date? And now I think we think about that quite a lot. I do anyway, especially if it's a contemporary work or if it's got any political comment to make about anything. You're like, Ooh, will we all be dead? <laughs> yeah, years? I think the problem with that is it kind of might compound it because then if people avoid political themes, yes. then stuff becomes increasingly apolitical and then perhaps things aren't sort of raised so this weird drift towards wherever the hell it is we are as a world um yeah i think i think i know you know the tv universe now is vast 
we, I think America is making something like 430 dramas at the moment. I don't know about the number for the UK, but I know that shows like Riviera, which I worked on last year, um, attracted extraordinary viewers for that, for that slot in that network. Um, I think partly because it doesn't deal with anything really political. But I think because like we are so, you know, ra but rather than going, look, people just want to chill out, okay? I think it's really important that you have those shows that are just fun and bonkers and weird um, and set in the sun and everyone's wearing great clothes and they look fantastic and you can just escape. I think it's also important that other networks realise their role in reflecting the world back on us. And I think dramas like Three Girls was absolutely spectacular. I think that, that, that's a recent kind of example of fantastic state of the nation storytelling where I had friends write to me, because I was going on and on about it on Facebook, I think, and I had a friend write to me from school saying, I hadn't spoken to in about 10 years, saying, um, thank you uh, so much for like recommending that show I, on, on, on Facebook. I, I watched it and I, was, I just didn't know that this happened. I didn't know that this was a thing. And, I had, and it's just, it's amazing. I'm just learning about it in a drama. And without getting too righteous I, I what i do think drama is able to do that because i'm the biggest documentary fan I, dr I drown in documentaries and i think the keepers is unparalleled I, I i don't know any drama that's going to make me feel the way the keepers did um but um which is on netflix but uh i think drama has a way of putting of of removing the distance between us and the subject that documentary can sometimes give us I think, I think drama has a way of forcing us to see issues from the human perspective. We have to sit at home with them in their kitchen, dealing with the aftermath. Um, and then documentaries are getting better and better at that. But, um, but I still feel like dramas like Three Girls have an ability to kind of make us think about subjects in a way that no news bulletin, no newspaper article ever could. And I think there's still a huge role for drama to play in getting people to sympathise. Because I think, I think, and that's what drama makes you do. You know, good drama will make you sympathise with characters who aren't who are different to you. It will make you feel like you can relate to people who seem on the surface utterly different to you in, in every meaningful way. And I think when we are so divided and everyone is drawing such battle lines, to we shouldn't be avoiding making dramas that that are specifically able to do that. And I think Three Girls was, you know. I feel, you know, I, you know, my life experiences couldn't be farther away from those involved. And you come away from a drama like that feeling like you get, you get it and therefore you feel as horrific as, you feel as horrific about the injustice as they, and you want to do something. I think good drama should make people kind of stand up and want to write to their MP sometimes. I'd love to see more of that. Are there untold real life stories that you think should be told that you would be interested in telling. yes uh there are but they're currently uh they're currently all over the place trying to find <laughs> homes so i probably shouldn't say but um but that is that is an area you're interested in yeah which yeah. i think is quite yeah, I've, I've got a bizarrely sort of diverse palette you know i've i want to do i want to do a sci-fi yeah i want to do sci-fi because that's what i grew up in and that's i'm a huge nerd but i learned quite early as well that i couldn't to limit myself to a genre i had to find things that i loved elsewhere because the uk has such a bizarre relationship with science fiction and fantasy um, and such a kind of nervy relationship with it that um, I've had to like find things that I love in other and I'm, I'm very I'm political and opinionated and um, and stupid and, 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 and I'm a huge history nerd so I can find and also I feel like all dramas of any genre like if, if I if, um, one of my favorite things is to sort of work with people who don't love a genre 
uh, like I'm working on a sci-fi with someone who doesn't instinctively love sci-fi, but my thing is like if I can make you love this, yes. we're on to something. Because like, if you shouldn't be alienated from something just because you don't think you like a genre. That's why I always think like our, our idea of audiences not mainstream audiences not liking sci-fi I find so strange. It's like it's still about people. It's still about the human condition. It's still about um, love and loss and tragedy and finding home and these are all things that we can relate to. So I don't know that I think genre just sometimes makes it feel a bit more fun. Um, but yeah, no, if I state of the nation, the big political, um, true or, or true stories that need to be told or injustices that have been have gone hidden that if that sometimes you can feel like if they're dramatized force people to sympathize and force people to you know, drama attracts big audiences and i think there's some there, there's a line there's a you know there's a line that you can cross that becomes um voyeurish and you're feeding you're feeding off suffering and i think you always have to ask yourself when you're approaching something like that am i helping who am i helping um and and if the answer is just me um then I think you should rethink. But there are some, there are some like injustices. You know, we're looking. I mean, you know, Grenfell is at the front and center of our minds, rightfully. But there have been similar um, instances or similar kind of um, uh, occasions of gross negligence or injustice on a governmental level that have been going on for decades. Um, uh, that that some of them I feel like need to be resurfaced and need to be talked about. But. Um, We'll just see if anyone with money agrees. <laughs> well, that sounds very exciting. So I'll keep, nice. keep an eye out. And, yeah, and, and I mean, it's as far away yeah. from being reality as absolutely <laughs> anything I'm involved with. But uh, yeah, the, the, other, the other hope you often have is I just hope that someone like um, uh, Peter Kosminski so will just get something like this away, even if I can't. Exactly, as long as someone's yeah. doing it. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, Sophie. That's yeah. been amazing and really interesting Thank to hear about me. the programmes that love and, and your career as well. I think a lot of people listening as well, hopefully sort of demystifying it a little oh, bit. I hope them. so. <laughs> Other than saying, just get in the right place at the right time, be really lucky and hope the stars are live, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, well, the more places you get into and the more times you do it, there'll be more right places, right times. Yeah, and I still think I still think competitions and just... Because those, a lot of them are just free to enter and it just requires you to sit down and write and it gets you connected. To, and if you, can, if you want to be in production, get into production, it's a great way to... There are more. I mean, there's more jobs now. Product. I, I, God, I know so many people from school who, um, not necessarily in my year group, but who I know at the time were like, you know, wanted to be doctors or whatever. Who are now all like production runners. Like, there's actually. It's. I know it can be hard to find, but there's a lot of TV drama being made here. A lot of movies being made here more than ever now, and there's quite a lot of work. Um, as 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 work goes, and as you know, we're in, like, in a shrinking economy with shrinking industries. TV. Is actually fairly is, is going quite well. So um, so if you can find on Mandy.com or Gumtree or Twitter or whatever website you're looking on, like jobs in production, that's as good a way to start as any, really. Um, and, and unless you're way more patient than I am and you're just happy to you know get a proper job, there's no problem in having a day job. And sometimes I think, God, I wish I had a <laughs> was doing something else as well. But um, yeah, and just write. Just write and send it out there and don't sit on it. That sounds like wise words and an <laughs> upbeat sort of uh, state of the industry as well, I think. Uh, hopefully, so, hopefully. Thanks. Thank you.